Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey, Jim, great to be back. Latest edition of The Other Hand. We've got, as usual, a lot of inflation and interest rate discussion to be had. We've had inflation numbers from the Eurozone, including, of course, Ireland. And I know in particular, you want to have a bit of a rant about various aspects of Irish inflation, the Irish inflation crisis. But there's also, of course, lots of stuff going on at the European level, which is making the debate over whether or not euro interest rates have peaked or not. Um, it's becoming more and more acute for the um, ECB. So I think we need to have that discussion. Staying with inflation and interest rates, close to my heart or close to my home, the UK, the Bank of England's chief economist, a guy called Hugh Pill, has been speaking in South Africa, of all places. And it's a bit weird because we've got some remarks from a conference that he's speaking at, a central bank conference in South Africa, but we ain't got the slides. And we'd really like to see the slides because he's talking about the peak in UK interest rates. Is that going to look like, if you charted it, the Matterhorn or Table Mountain? So I want to have a quick word about that. The third item on my agenda, and please feel free to add anything you like, Jim, is episode 432 in a long series titled Britain Doesn't Work Anymore. Regular readers of our Substack site will know that I wrote at the beginning of this year a series of pieces on that theme. And although I have at times on this podcast, Jim, been somewhat negative about the state of the UK, I've tried to refrain a little bit lately and tried to be a wee bit more optimistic. But a couple of things have caught my eye this week that have led me to go back to despair, which is that, first of all, that air traffic control thing, Britain's air traffic control system collapsed this week, causing havoc for an awful lot of people trying to get into or out of the UK. And some of the legacy of that is persisting. Related to that, it was fascinating to see an article for once in the Irish Times praising something about an Irish institution, uh, Ryanair. Ryanair is actually 
uh, one of my favorite airlines because I think that they do exactly what they say on the tin and they are more punctual than any other airline I use. And you know what you get when you buy a Ryanair ticket and an awful lot of the stuff that's talked about Ryanair is a load of rubbish. I know you have a conflict of interest when it comes to Ryanair, but that shouldn't stop you commenting on what I think is a great Irish institution. Going back to that theme about Britain not working anymore and not working in terms of aircraft, airplanes and the skies, we've learned today that a lot of schools in England are going to have to close all of a sudden because they're in danger of falling down because of problems with their construction. So I, I, I mentioned that. We may not have time to get around to discuss that in any detail. But Jim, why don't you begin the discussion with running us through the numbers for European inflation generally and I think you have probably one or two things to say about Irish inflation in particular. I have indeed, Chris. Uh, good to talk again. We got the um, initial estimates of inflation for the euro area today. Um, the headline inflation rate for the eurozone is at 5.3% unchanged. And the core rate, when you exclude food and energy, fell from 55 to 5.3%. Okay. Uh, in Germany, 6.4% headline, down from 6.5%. The core rate is running at a high 5.5%. Uh, we had data earlier this week showing German import prices down by 13.2%, which was the largest monthly fall in import prices since 1987. And it was driven primarily by energy, metals and fertilizer. So whether that feeds into German inflation going forward or not remains to be seen. And I'll, I'll have a view on that in a second. Uh, Spanish inflation at 2.4%, but the core rate is at 6%. And French headline rate up from 4.3 to 4.8. So the strong downward momentum we've seen in the headline rate of inflation for some months now um, is certainly taking a bit of a blip at the moment. And it is primarily due to the fact that energy prices have gone up significantly over the last month. And I was just checking during the month of August, for example, the barrel of Brent crude increased by 19.7%. And that is now starting to feed into the headline rates of inflation. Um, we spoke about food price inflation in an earlier podcast recently, where I was talking about the, 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 the warnings from the UNFAO Food and Agriculture Organization, their food price index is rising again. A few factors driving that, the, um, the ending of the Black Sea grain deal by Russia, the ban on or the restriction on exports of rice from India, and then El Nino effect on food production. So th th there is certainly a sense that both energy and food will feed into higher inflation over the coming months. And of course, that poses a significant dilemma for the European Central Bank. The next meeting is on September 14th. Um, I certainly had a view that I wrote about in a Substack piece a couple back that the ECB would certainly be advised and probably would pause in September just to wait and see how things transpire but there's a, there's a sense in marks now that perhaps that's not correct um, and the odds of a rate increase uh, have probably risen a little bit i think it's stupid i think it would be a stupid 
interpretation of what's going on from the European Central Bank because increasing interest rates ain't going to get food or oil prices down unless, of course, you force a major recession, in which case demand for oil particularly would fall sharply and prices would come tumbling down. But that's a pretty blunt instrument if that's what you're trying to achieve. So I stick by my view that a rate increase from the European Central Bank in September would be a mistake. Uh, but the European Central Bank particularly is prone to making mistakes. As you know, Jim, uh, up until uh, today, I would agree with 100% of what you've just said, but I've had cause to rethink my position. You know that I bang on about forecasting and how difficult it is, and that one of the things that I take as a classic contrary indicator, if I am going to get involved in that game, are economist forecasts, not uh, forecasts made by economists everywhere, but The Economist, the newspaper. And I am a huge fan of their journalism. I think their, their newspaper is a fantastic thing. It's a must read for people like us. And I, and I subscribe to it with, with alacrity. But I do chuckle sometimes at their uh, very hard-hitting forecasts over the years, which have gone wrong. Oil prices being perhaps the most famous example from a good while back, uh, which they got spectacularly wrong. And there have been lots of other examples. But today I read they are forecasting, Jim, as a result of what the European Central Bank has already done with interest rates, a hard landing for the Eurozone economy. Now, I'm thinking to myself, now, this has been Chris Johns and Jim Powers' position for quite some time, that the ECB has overdone it. But if The Economist is now agreeing with us, Jim, should we now change our minds? A four-letter word comes to mind, Chris. I'm worried. Please, please don't swear on our podcast. No. We, we do have uh, we we do have uh, vulnerable people listening to uh, our podcast that could be triggered by the use of your Waterford metaphors. Um, but more seriously, I do think that it is becoming a wee bit of a chorus that the ECB has overegged it. In, in you know, as I say, the Economist is now saying it explicitly. Uh, we've been saying it for quite some time. I haven't changed my mind. Of course, I haven't. But. Uh, um, it's always fun to, to, to poke fun at the at the economist. Uh, but I think you're right that they shouldn't raise interest rates on September the 14th. I will be surprised if they do, because I think all of the indicators are now that the Eurozone economy, if it isn't in recession, it's heading for one. And that the only question is whether or not that recession is a deep and prolonged one or a shallow and short one. But even the hardline Bundesbankers on the ECB are starting to mutter about the fact that things have slowed down by more than their recent forecasts. The, the, I think there was a statement at Jackson Hole by the Bundesbank representative there that the forecasts that the ECB made back in the early summer were proven to be too optimistic when it comes to economic growth. So they're rowing back from their uh, optimism, if you like. And I do think that we are in for something of a pause, if not an actual peak in European interest rates. And I wouldn't worry too much about those inflation numbers because the core numbers behave themselves. It was the headline numbers. And the problem has been, as you say, rising energy prices over the last four to eight weeks. We've seen it with our own petrol prices in the four courts. Um, the price of natural gas on the wholesale markets has gone up a lot, nowhere near to where it was this time last year. But it, it has meant that those headline rates of inflation have started to go the other way. But as you say, Jim, central banks shouldn't worry about that. But there is something that central banks and policymakers generally can do about inflation, 
particularly governments, because governments do actually control some prices, don't they, Jim? And surprisingly, I've noticed, and I think you're about to tell us, about some interesting moves by the Irish government to push up Irish inflation, or, or am I being a bit harsh? Uh, no, you're not, Chris. Uh, the flash estimate for the harmonised index of consumer prices, that's the standardised European measure of inflation or the Eurozone measure, um, it increased from 4.6% in July to 4.9% in August, and that's up a half percent in the month. So the downtrend in the Irish measured rate um, is now being reversed. And the key factor driving that reversal is an increase of 3.4% in energy prices during the month. So that's consistent with what I've described in the euro area generally with Germany, France, and so on. Okay, so that, that's one story. The government is consistently going on about the cost of living crisis, about how in the budget on October 10th it's going to do something about helping people with this cost of living crisis. We've seen a number of cost of living packages being introduced over the last 18 months to try and alleviate the cost of living pressures on households and indeed to some extent on small businesses. But there was a headline in the BBC on its website today, which caught my attention. It was pointing out that on mid midnight on the 31st of August, there's a couple of things going to happen in Ireland that will fuel inflation and exacerbate the cost of living crisis. Firstly, the 9% VAT rate um, that was cut from 13.5% back in November 2020 um, on accommodation food services and some other services uh, but mainly dominated by accommodation food services that is going back up from nine percent to thirteen and a half percent and this increase is coming at a time when as i've said there is a cost of living crisis and secondly many restaurants particularly are really struggling in the current environment because input costs have increased dramatically and the prices restaurants have been charging um, have certainly not been going up as much. So margins have been squeezed for many restaurants. Uh, the question for the restaurant owners now is, do we absorb this increase from 9 to 13.5% in the VAT rate, or do we pass it on to the consumer? Either option is not very palatable. But the bottom line is, um, the government does not have to do this but by doing this, it is going to fuel inflation, is going to exacerbate the cost of living crisis. The second thing that's going to happen is that the temporary reduction in the excise duty on fuel that was um, in introduced in March of 2022, um, that is now being reversed. And midnight on the 31st of August, the litre of petrol is going up by seven cent and a litre of diesel by five cent. OK, and this is coming on top of um, a trend over the past month where prices at the pump have been going up anyway. So this is just going to exacerbate the problem. So two moves by government that will undermine the, 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 the or well, at least damage the cost of living pressures further that will fuel inflation, measured inflation further, are being implemented by government. And yet on October 10th, they'll turn around with another cost of living package. And it's, it's interesting. Um, I would be one of the few economists here that believes the 9% VAT rate is totally and utterly appropriate 
for the accommodation and food services sector. But uh, the Department of Finance economists and other economists, particularly in academia, um, who have absolutely no understanding of the realities of doing business in an economy. They are in their ivory towers in academia, but they're saying that this VAT cut, you know, this is what it cost the exchequer. Uh, and this, to me, is a pure example of people who know the price of everything and the value of nothing. Um, and, uh, and I just wonder about the damage these, this increase in the VAT rate is going to do to that sector. I wonder what it's going to do to jobs. I wonder what the ultimate cost of the exchequer will be. And I also wonder how much will the government spend on October 10th in trying to alleviate some of these cost of living pressures. So let's no, let nobody be in any doubt whatsoever. The two increases that are being implemented by government in excise duty and in VAT at midnight on the 31st of August, that will fuel inflation, that will exacerbate the cost of living, that will, depending on how the tax increases are absorbed, particularly on the VAT side, um, will undermine the performance of already stretched businesses. This is being implemented by government. It is government's fault. Government does not have to do this. There is nobody forcing government to do this. So don't turn around and give me the bullshit on October 10th about how much government is doing to address the cost of living crisis. Um, another um, price increase, nothing to do with the government, directly at least. Uh, the VHI, the Voluntary Health Insurance Company, has announced a 7% increase in its premia. And um, you can see the justification for that because the cost of medical procedures and so on is increasing. So I'm, I'm not surprised about that. But the point is that it also will feed into inflation and the cost of living price crisis. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, and I would suggest that anybody thinking about their private health insurance in the years ahead should budget for these kinds of increases because costs of healthcare are only going one way. There was an article in the FT this week about uh, interview, interviewing various serious scientists and geneticists, as well as the usual tech bros, billionaires who want to live forever. Um, and the article is about how to live to 140. And it's made all sorts of interesting and not so interesting suggestions for doing so. But if that's what our future holds, Jim, that we are all going to live to 140, EOP, uh, the costs of healthcare are going to go Apps, if you thought they're bad now, just just wait until that cohort of 
older people do live that long. And, and of course, we all hope that everybody does live that long. Uh, the other inflation story that I think is worth commenting on, I mentioned it in my intro, is the Bank of England's chief economist, Hugh Pill, talked about UK interest rates, which are currently at five and a quarter percent, so a good bit higher than your interest rates, Jim. And on that, if I might digress just for a second, we've had the discussion several times on this pod about the rates offered to depositors in the wake of these official interest rate increases and how Irish depositors are being ripped off by the banks. And one of the best interest rate offers for depositors in Europe, the best actually, is in the UK. And unlike the state savings agency in Ireland, for the first time ever, the state savings agency here in the UK is taking on the banks from a competition point of view with respect to interest rates. Never done it before, in, and certainly never done it in this way. There's a, I could get a one-year bond from the state saving agency today, so um, guaranteed by the government, so uh, unlimited, I think, in terms of the amount, not that I've got an unlimited amount. Guess what rate this one-year bond is paying, Jim? 6.2%. Wow. Yeah. That is extraordinary. Absolutely. Um, and obviously, if you're sitting there from a euro base, if you availed of this um, 6.2% interest rate, I don't know if you can do it internationally, you'd have the exchange rate risks. So this is not a suggestion that anybody should do it from a non-sterling base. But 6.2%, I mean, that's pretty compelling, isn't it? I mean, that's getting on for the sort of expectation that you should have from stock market returns, actually. And it's much higher, of course, than regular government borrowing costs. So it's a curious thing, but um, it's certainly, I think, in part at least motivated by trying to put some pressure on the banks to raise their deposit rates here. But anyway, back to Hugh Pell, whose interest rate that he is charging as the main man at the Bank of England, or at least the chief economist at the Bank of England, is five and a quarter percent. He's been speaking in South Africa at a central bank conference in which he's talking about what is going to happen to UK interest rates from here. Because the consensus up until today is that rates are heading upwards again. And he has said his own personal preference, not necessarily the banks, of course, is that rates should stay where they are. And that rather than doing um, an alpine Matterhorn style graph for interest rates, which would be huge peaks followed by cuts, he wants to see a table mountain. He's speaking in South Africa, forgive him the metaphor, of a long and stable and flat period for interest rates at five and a quarter percent. He thinks that quite sensibly, he argues that that's going to be uh, more stable for both businesses and consumers. Uh, all firms or potential mortgage holders would have a period of relative calm, relative certainty, relative predictability, if they can keep interest rates at five and a quarter percent for a long period of time. It's a very sensible aspiration. Whether or not he's able to do it, I don't know. My guess is that he will. Um, but of course, that verges on a forecast. So I think it's actually verging on something very sensible coming out of the Bank of England, if a, if the metaphor is a little colourful. But um, I think some, which which ultimately should be good news for the UK. Um, after a week of, as I say, not so good news, we had the air traffic control disaster this week, where the, the system just fell apart. And fairly or unfairly, this has just added to the long list of things that people now have in mind when they say Britain doesn't work anymore. And the lack of investment in basic infrastructure um, is beginning to show up in all sorts of different ways, not least 
in air traffic control systems, but today we've had it in terms of uh, schools. School buildings are going to have to close because of poor construction, use of construction materials. Another example of the way in which Britain doesn't work. So, Jim, I, that's me done for, for my UK rant today. I don't know whether you want to do your usual telling me not to be so pessimistic or whether or not for once you might agree with me. No, I mean, I, I, I saw the headlines about um, students being told to stay home from school in case the school fell on top of them. Quite extraordinary. And uh, the debacle on the air traffic control front, which has caused absolute chaos around Europe, uh, Michael O'Leary said it was unacceptable, which I think by yeah. by his in his by his standards that's quite mild language. Um, yeah. But he was absolutely right. He but, was um, absolutely. Spe- yeah. Speaking of Michael O'Leary, I was wondering what you made of the article in today's Irish Times praising that great Irish institution Ryanair, because you don't see too many of those articles, do you? Yeah, it was. It's funny enough. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the article. I thought it was great. Uh, it's probably confirmation bias on my part. But um, there, a few days ago, uh, somebody who got caught in the air traffic chaos in Europe on a WhatsApp group that my wife is on said that um, I'm here stuck in some airport in France and no sign of a Ryanair staff member around. And I just thought to myself, this is bloody typical. You know, the people just love having a go at Ryanair and Finn McRedmond in the Irish Times I think captured very very well what I was thinking the other night when I saw that WhatsApp message that my wife got that um, there seems to be a middle class habit of saying oh what would you expect from Ryanair I mean I, I think back in the I started working in economics in the late 1980s and into the 1990s I went to London a lot. I went to Frankfurt a lot, went to the States a lot. But it was the London one that really stands out in my head. Aer Lingus really was the only choice at that stage. And um, one needed a mortgage to travel to the UK. I mean, when you have um, a virtual monopoly on an air route, well, this is what you're going to get. Then we got the advent of Ryanair. And the first Ryanair commercial flight came out of Warford Airport, incidentally. But... um, you know, since then, Ryanair has introduced massive competition, not just in Ireland, but all over Europe. Um, it's now the biggest airline in Europe. It's a real Irish success story. And the other thing about Ryanair is, well, I, I always fly Ryanair. And in fact, I'm flying Ryanair again in the morning. Um, occasional, where, where it's not possible, I get Aer Lingus. Uh, but Ryanair generally is the way I fly and I find the experience generally very, very positive. But it's cheap. And, you know, you get what you pay for. Um, and, but and, you... and indeed. And I, the one thing, I am a huge fan of Ryanair because it enables me to travel from regional British airports that I would not otherwise have been able to use, particularly to get back to Ireland. And uh, you, you do get what you pay for. But they don't pretend to be anything other than they're not. You know exactly what you're getting. With the offering and anybody that claims to be surprised disappointed or cheesed off with their customer service um frankly deserves um i don't know what planet they're living on because i do think that ryanair delivers what it says on the tin and i'm a huge i am a huge fan yeah i i have a uh, a nephew um, who's american he's a pilot in the united states and uh, a few months ago he sent me a photograph he had just flown into seattle and was sitting on the runway 
and he took a photograph of five or six aircraft at the far side of the um, airport with Ryanair logos on them. Fantastic. And it, it just obviously these were Ryanair orders from Boeing in Seattle. Uh, they were on, on the tarmac waiting to be collected. But it really just struck me that here we have an Irish company with this sort of global presence. And in yes, any industry, I, it's, it's a fantastic sort of story. And I think it should be celebrated. So I'm delighted that we are able to just in a very small way. Uh, do a little bit of Ryanair celebration today. Probably something else that will make us deeply unfashionable, Jim. But that's probably uh, uh, part of the, the part of the course for the for, for you and I. Okay, Jim. I think that's um, all we've got time for today. Um, I shall speak to you soon. Uh, not as soon as usual, because you, as you just said, you are going away. So, um, regular listeners, please don't tune out. We will still be doing the other hand over the next while, but with some very special guests. So thanks to Jim, and I look forward to speaking to you when you're back. Enjoy your break. Great, Chris. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on The Other Hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.